Hello and welcome to the Bangor podcast series, Banking Under Pressure, exploring how the financial services industry is coping with the COVID-19 pandemic. In this series, the Bankers editors are interviewing industry experts from around the world to gather insights and advice on specific challenges, best practices and innovations that can help banks and their customers manage through these tough times. I'm Kimberly Long, Asia Editor of The Banker, and today I'm speaking with CM Mueli, Chief Product Officer at Elucidate, and Shilpa Gotta, Vice President of Strategic Partnerships at Elucidate. To you both, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having us, Kimberly. We are excited to be here. So Elucidate is a financial crime risk quantification platform, and our vision is to rid the earth of financial crime. We provide the market's only authorized financial crime benchmark, the Elucidate FinCrime Index, so aka the EFI. We are regulated by both the BaFin and the ESMA, and we partner with global financial institutions and regulators with the goal of identifying, of minimizing, and pricing their exposure to financial crime risk. So especially focusing on risks like money laundering, terror financing, and corruption, for example. Our ambition is to become the global standard for measuring financial crime risk. So similar to what Moody's is for credit risk. Are current regulatory frameworks in place enough to deter financial crime? Okay, I think we're at a point where more rules are not necessarily likely to lead to less financial crime. I mean, there's definitely space for improvement on the enforcement up front, but what is really needed is a shift in incentives. So um, I don't know that history has proven that rules are, are going to get banks or financial institutions to really significantly change their behavior. There's a limit to what that can do. Um, but money definitely gets banks to change their behavior. So um, what we're seeing is a, a shift in conversations about pricing um, the risk of financial crime into uh, the global trade system uh, and into payments as a way to truly incentivize banks to take that risk seriously. So what that would mean is that it would shift the focus from uh, simple compliance with rules to really actually managing the risk of true financial crime uh, taking place and of illicit actors using the financial system um, for their benefits. Are some regions better at meeting these compliance rules than others? Are you seeing any any disparity between the different regions globally? I would actually encourage us to ask the question differently. While focusing on certain regions and certain sort of policies and certain improvements that regulators are making within their jurisdictions is important, but I think it's more important to address the challenge of mitigating financial crime, not just from a policy perspective, but really, really understanding, you know, where these illicit payments are coming from and what damage they're doing. That really has to be a multi-jurisdictional um, responsibility. It has to be a global coordinated effort between regulatory bodies, between supervisory bodies, between central banks, between governments, but also in close cooperation and collaboration with the financial institutions that these bodies govern. Um, because the reality is the, the global uh, transaction payment money system is interconnected. So um, bad actors, uh, people who engage in financial crime will always find a route in if we just focus on certain regulations being implemented by certain regulators, it is a great step, but it's an incomplete step. So we have to look at it from a global level. 
in essence, what you have is a giant net, right? And if there's a hole, then that's where bad actors are going to come through. So even if you have one regulator that has the best set of rules and the best enforcement, another one that doesn't do that will just provide a route in. Same with banks. If you have a bank that's just really, really good at uh, detecting and reporting financial crime, it's the one that's not good at it that's going to end up being used. And that's going to, in a way, invalidate all the efforts that are being done. So looking at it holistically, as opposed to that country is high risk and that country is not, or that bank is high risk and that bank is not, in our minds is the right way to look at it, even though it's daunting uh, and harder to address. I would also add, Siam, that um, this sort of subjective, very manual, very tedious approach, uh, which is, doesn't often utilize all the data that's out there, is, is actually damaging to certain regions, certain jurisdictions in a way that's unfair, in a way that's, that cannot be proven, in a way that, you know, is not transparent. So definitely, um, we do need a, a comprehensive um, insightful view at a global level um, from a regulate, regulated and regulatory perspective. What more could be done to ensure that these rules are being met? And do you think this would come from the regulator or would this come from another body? Well, at the moment, what we're seeing, for example, in the correspondent banking space is you almost see these big global regulators acting as regulators. Um, so you'll see banks, you know, like HSBC, Standard Chartered Bank, Wells Fargo really going through a thorough evaluation of their uh, client banks to look at their at their um, compliance framework and financial crime framework um, as a way to evaluate the risk of doing business with them. So it's almost like you have these these regulators that are better than others at enforcement, but then you also have these global banks that are starting to do that work. That's really an interesting dynamic, um, but I don't know if it's sustainable because the amount of um, work that goes into that, the amount of subjectivity uh, that goes into that, and by work, I mean manual work, and also the, the cost of these processes uh, make it so that uh, doing business is extremely expensive and you know banks are not uh, charities. So obviously that leads to de-risking. So that makes access to the global system harder. Um, if you had a system which uh, essentially has a standardized cross the board global view of really the activity uh, that is taking place and really the frameworks that are in place at different banks and in different jurisdictions, you can start seeing where those holes are um, and where those gaps are that are allowing bad actors to essentially transact. Um, in essence, it's about not underestimating the interconnectedness of, of you know, finance, but also financial crime. So there are definitely regulators out there that could be uh, better at enforcement, but better enforcement also means that banks are really, really focused on complying with rules and complying with rules is not always synonymous with actually uh, deterring, uh, detecting and reporting financial crime. And, you know, I would go as far as to say that I have not seen evidence necessarily that the regulatory frameworks that are currently in place are effective at lowering um, the rates of financial crime, actually, what we see is a, a pretty kind of a steady numbers across the years of um, illicit finance. And it doesn't seem like regulators or regulation are doing anything uh, to change that at the moment. And I think, Sam, it 
kind of goes back to the question around incentive alignment and the question around accountability and the question around, you know, are we going to sit in the back and play defense? So that's what a lot of folks do, right? They wait and they wait and they wait and they do business as usual. They do sort of, uh, you know, it's on a spectrum, but, you know, some will do checkboxing, some will go as far as to really revamp, revamp their compliance program. But then you, you're always playing until the fine comes or a regulator comes knocking. So how can we incentivize folks to be in front of, uh, of you know illicit payments rather than always chasing so you know both cm and i have um, extensive uh, investment banking uh, background you know i come from the business side and cm comes from the compliance side you know for me sitting in business um to understand the true cost of holding a counterparty relationship was simply impossible we had hundreds of systems we had um thousands and thousands of counterparties. So when compliance would get an alert, a compliance would receive some information and come knocking to me and say, shut this you know, relationship down. I had no way of knowing what that actually meant. I had no way of knowing if this client was as risky as it was being you know, allegedly uh, marked as. I had no way of knowing if this client was paying us enough to stay on you know, our, or it was in line with the risks um, of this bank. So for example, um, banks today, um, the more you transact with another counterparty, the less they pay. Um, that's not a risk-based approach. That's a volume-based approach that doesn't really take into account the financial crime risk of this counterparty. So for us in business, you know, in my previous job, um, I had no way of knowing if how I was doing business was in line with the financial crime risk of this counterparty and how I would have a shared language with my compliance team, my compliance officer, and with my regulator to, to actually build a consensus on whether this was right or wrong. So CM, you know, would have been on the other side of the table. And, and I think she can definitely share what some of these challenges as a compliance uh, officer were. What's interesting is about the dynamics, right? So compliance and business are rarely departments that work well together. I've, I've definitely worked with banks where they work well together, and it's always really great to see, but sometimes they're seen almost as in opposition. Um, same actually with banks and regulators. Um, you know, you have the regulator and you're kind of fearful of them because you're worried that they're going to ding you because of some kind of compliance violation. Um, and so it's pretty ironic because when you think about it, the, the business compliance and the regulators are supposed to be on, on the same side uh, of this issue, but that's not necessarily how it is in fact. And so as long as we're kind of busy trying to work out the dynamics between regulators and compliance and business, then, you know, it's a very nice world to live in if you're a criminal because we're completely distracted. I mean, I would almost see it as a, you know, a multi-lane highway where not everyone's actually driving towards the same place. And there's different checkpoints in place that serve to slow down, say, illicit payments, but don't mitigate the risk. Uh, and, you know, the regulators, the um, the banks, um, other parties, uh, counterparties that are involved, different people. We have to think of the humans who are doing these jobs. Everyone's under pressure. And, you know, policies are being made, rules are being made, fines are being issued. But we still are able to detect in the current system, in the ASIS, less than 1% of uh, illicit payments flowing through the global financial ecosystem. So clearly, um, 
a lot needs to change. The status quo does not serve us. It does not serve society. It does not serve the financial ecosystem. And it definitely does not serve to motivate, to incentivize the actual humans doing these jobs. So there is a lot of tech, there's a lot of innovation out there that is helping these folks do their jobs um, more powerfully, you know, with more effectiveness, um, with more, um, you know, motivation. Uh, and it just equips them to, to be ahead of what's to come. You know, it's, it's not going to be a chasing game. You know, people are tired. There is friction within organizations. People's jobs are under pressure. You know, with COVID, we just not have seen that pressure actually abate. It's really risen. Uh, banks have taken certain sort of countermeasures. They're starting to reduce the frequency of the alerts they receive. They're starting to do more, but it's just not enough because, you know, um, the bad actors know what tech can do. They know where they can leverage tech. So I think this has to be a joint collaboration of the different parties, the different folks in the financial ecosystem, from the regulators to the financial institutions, to the people and to the fintechs like us um, to help them do this job better. Okay, that was so interesting. Thank you so much to you both for joining me today. Thanks. Thank you. And you can keep up to date by subscribing to our weekly podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, and Acast, and follow our discussions at thebanker.com slash podcasts. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.